What up? What up? What up? It's your boy, Brian Brown. Brian, 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 Brian. They say small minds talk about people. Average minds talk about events. And great minds discuss ideas. Here at the right place to be Mo, we exclusively have great discussions with the intention of creating great thoughts. I want to welcome you back to the right place to be Mo. Cultural analysis with the intention of creating progressive thought. We describe progressive thought as any thought that pertains to the advancement of self through the creation of ideas and thoughts. Here on the right place to be Mo, that's exactly what we do. To all my first time listeners, we take three subjects from the culture, we analyze them, and we create progressive thought through the method of identifying its myth, pulling from that myth its virtue, and then coming from that virtue its action. I believe that those three things create an idea. So at the right place to be, Mo, we have completely dedicated these 30 minutes to inspire you to think, Mo. Once again, it's your boy, Brian Brown. Welcome back. This week, I got three things I want to talk about. They're actually some doozies, y'all. The first thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about the Strong Black Leads Initiative from Netflix, how I think is actually full of shit. Number two, I want to answer the question, is Kevin Hart a pussy? And we're going we're gonna, to uh, adjust that terminology because I think it's a little disrespectful, but we'll get to that. And then the last thing, y'all, I went to Bill Cosby's house with the intention of delivering a message. Stay tuned to the end of the show, and you'll hear that whole story. But first, <laughs> I want to talk about Netflix. Now, if you know your boy, your boy has been given the squinty-eye, one-eye look at Netflix since the $500,000 offer from Netflix to Monique for a comedy special. I don't want to focus this conversation on Monique, the issue between Netflix and Monique. I really think it's a symptom of something a little more nefarious that's going on. So let me just give you let me just give you my background and of course we'll move into the myth, the virtue and then the action. And I want to leave you with a question, not to evaluate your thoughts. I just want to know what your thought what your thoughts are. We're not here to evaluate, we're just here to think a little bit mo Symptom, a few months back, Monique, comedian, black woman comedian, quite possibly the most successful black woman comedian ever, looking at you, Tiffany Haddish, looking at you, Wanda Sykes. I'm looking at y'all. Most successful black female comic of all time, Monique, gets an offer from Netflix to do a comedy special for $500,000 just for that comedy special. Now, we looked into the contract before. It was a two-year contract, very exclusive. We don't want you to perform this special anywhere else. We want you to just be Monique for two years, $500,000. The disrespectful part comes in, as Monique brings into the evidence, is that the Dave Chappelle's, the Chris Rock's, the Amy Schumer's, they're getting 20 mil, same contract. So in Monique's perspective, and we can definitely argue about that all you want to, again, we're here to talk about the idea. So you can get caught up in the event, you can get caught up in the person, but that's not what we were talking about. Great conversations only. With the Monique situation, the disrespect comes in with the undervalue of Monique, which to me, and this is where we get into the myth, to me, the story of Monique is a symptom for a lack of racial awareness and sensitivity happening at Netflix. Now, I've been talking to my friends about this for months, and I'm, it's been on my 
both of my Twitters, both of my Instagrams, all of my Facebooks just soliciting ideas. The initial reaction for Monique was to call for a boycott so that people could stand with her and the disrespect displayed by Netflix. And then the cultural response was, girl, you crazy, Monique. Ain't nobody about to ban no damn Netflix. You out your mind. And nobody blinked twice at the accusations that Monique were really bringing to the forefront. If you want to see some more evidence of that, please feel, feel, feel free to visit the, the Right Place to Be Mo's Instagram account at BMO Speaks, B-E-M-O-S-P-E-A-K-S. You can see the visual evidence. I put up a nice little video clip of some of the important things that Monique has said over the time. But I'm saying all this to say that Monique has... The story of Monique being offered $500,000 is a symptom for a lack of awareness and racial sensitivity from Netflix. And, they, and now I, I, I hear some of y'all saying, but, but Mo, how could Netflix be racially insensitive and unaware when they have shows like Luke Cage, they have Chewing Gum, they have uh, Old Girl who did a uh, 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 scandal in that. She got the $100 million contract from Netflix. How could Netflix be racially insensitive and unaware. My response is simple. If you knew black demographics and the buying power that the audience of Monique has, you wouldn't offer the $500,000. If you knew the buying power of the women who appreciate Monique, we're talking about the same Monique who hosted the BET Awards, I think, twice, twice in a row. The second time she did that huge parody of Beyonce. And she was the biggest shit in the community. She's the biggest female black comedian of all time. If you knew the true buying power of that, if you knew the power of black girl magic, if you knew how black women support each other, especially in the narrative that Monique speaks in, there's no way that you would offer her $500,000, knowing that you're going to offer $100 million to Shonda Rhimes, who does scandal. It's the same audience. But I say that you're unaware and insensitive because ain't no black people in the room. Ain't no black people in the room there at Netflix. And I can tell because you offered $500,000 to Monique. She will get 500,000 views in the first two hours. This is a fact. We know how black women support each other. But black men, we know that. Black people, we know that. That's not hard. That's easy money. 20 mil, up for discussion. 500,000, you done lost your damn mind. But I say all that to say, not to say that Netflix is necessarily wrong for that, because here at the right place to be, Mo, we don't evaluate. We just want to have higher thoughts. I'm saying that that myth has led Netflix to some very nefarious actions. And I want to give you some facts. A couple of weeks after that offer was blown up in the news and Monique went to Sway in the morning. She went to uh, uh, see Charlemagne at the, at the Breakfast Club. She did a couple of personal interviews. She did some Instagram shout outs. I found it very interesting that I, f I feel like the following week on Twitter, I see the statistics say Netflix is only 4% black. Netflix's staff is only 4% black. Strike one. I'm sorry, that's strike two. Strike one was only offering uh, Monique 500,000. Strike two, you're only 4% black. And here's the third strike, y'all. Just recently, just recently, their director of marketing was fired because of his use of racial slurs. And I'll give you a guess which racial slur it was. Nigga! That's right, white man using nigga at Netflix. So if the head of marketing feels included enough to say nigga in a meeting, this is where he said it, y'all. You can look at the news. It's on the Twitter, at BMO Brown, B-E-M-O Brown. If the head of Netflix's marketing can say nigga at a meeting twice, if the company is only 4% black, if 
they cannot recognize the value of our stars, the only conclusion that I have is that there is some racial insensitivity and lack of awareness happening at Netflix. And then I find it strange that after all of this has happened, the dude has been let go. He's already said nigga twice. Netflix has already blowballed Monique. It's only 4% of the employers of Netflix are black. And then all of a sudden they come out with this strong black lead initiative. It's on the Twitter. It's on Instagram. I know you saw the commercial during the BET Awards. They even reframed a famous picture from the Harlem Renaissance. I feel like it's a, a day at Harlem. I can't remember. Don't quote me. But they reimagined that same picture using today's actors, actresses, directors, and producers that are black in the forefront on Netflix. And they pushed them right to the front and said, this is what we're doing in Netflix. We are the home for black arts. But you can't be the home for black arts if your staff is only 4%. You can't recognize the cultural power of Monique and the buying power of black woman. Netflix, you full of shit. And your boy sees right through you. I see right through your shit. Because you haven't apologized. You haven't offered Monique a different offer. And it's not even about Monique. I haven't even seen new stats that you've hired new black people. And then you got your head of marketing dropping the nigga like it's cool. Like he Papa John's. My fear, though, and this is where the progressive thought comes in. No, we didn't boycott. No, we didn't stand by Monique's side. And you can have your reasons. Oh, Monique is hard to work with. Mm, that's small-minded. Oh, Monique's been calling out Oprah. Mm, that's small-minded, too. If we're talking about the idea, the idea of a demographic so powerful it's probably the most powerful buying power in the black community being underrepresented at Netflix. That's proof one. We don't have enough people working there. That's proof two. We got the head of the marketing saying nigga. That's proof three. All three of those things were enough for y'all to leave H&M, Papa John's, the Montgomery bus line. All those were reasons enough for you to leave these things. So I ask you this. At what point at what point do you see these symptoms and you take them for facts for what they are? At what point does the price of your entertainment actually change your morals? And if it doesn't, how much does Netflix have to do for you to forgive them? Is it only going to take one commercial and a strong black leads initiative? Do we need to see more black shows? Should we have better representation of all the caveats of black culture? Or should it be the only the ones that are entertaining on a crossover fashion? Again, I'm not here to judge you. I just want you to think a little bit more. And we'll be right back. BMO Productions is the leading and progressive force in revitalizing all creative actions that are either gentrified or separated or demeaned as insignificant. We are here keeping up for you. So if you have an idea, if you have a project, if you have a creative moment that you want to capture, hit your boy up, BMO Productions. You can find us at BMOAuthentic.com. That's BMO, B-E-M-O, Authentic.com. Let's get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Chuck Levin's Washington Music Center. Chuck Levin's is the leading equipment provider for all musicians and creatives in D.C. I can't tell y'all how many times Chuck Levin's. All right, y'all, and we right back with the right place to be, Mo. In case you forgot, 
We're here to do some cultural analysis with the intention of creating progressive thought. Is Kevin Hart a pussy? Ooh. Is Kevin Hart a pussy? Now, I'm going to go ahead right now. I'm going to go ahead and change one of the words of this category. I used pussy um, because it's a statement that Kathy Griffin made towards Kevin Hart, something to get your attention. But from this point out, we're going to sub- substitute pussy for coward because I don't think pussies are actually weak. I think pussies are mad strong, mad strong. Um, they bring life and they take a beating. So a well, question now, is Kevin Hart a coward? Let me give you a couple of background information and of course we will break this thing down like we usually do we'll talk about the myth the virtue and then the action and what we should do next and then i'll leave you with a progressive thought uh, again not to evaluate i want to know your thoughts simply for the reason that i want you to think i want you to be just a little bit mo there was a news article that came out that kathy griffin kathy griffin the same a white female comic who did it was a comedy piece per se like an artistic comedy piece where she showed her cutting off the head of the president president donald trump that is uh they gotten her to you know got her under fire because you just can't be threatening the president nothing like that it's just it's just a little wild you can agree or you can disagree but that's not what we're here to evaluate anti-trump strong woman comedian kathy griffin comes out and says kevin hart is a pussy because he does not speak to uh, the president. He does not speak about social commentary. All of his jokes and his comedy are very family-based, very jokey-jokey-based, personification of animals, very cheap laugh-type situations. Secondly, it's not only Kathy Griffin, I think, that's calling Kevin Hart a coward. I also think recently we saw Mike Epps and Kevin Hart's beef flare up again. Uh, and this time, Mike Epps is just continues to insinuate that it's not hate, it's not beef. He just does not think Kevin Hart is funny. Uh, and while Mike Epps didn't specifically say why, I agree. I don't think Kevin Hart is specifically funny because I don't think that he is nuanced, nuanced enough. All of his comedy and content seems to be aimed at pleasing the masses, which there's nothing wrong with that. But does that make Kevin Hart a coward? So let's go ahead and break this thing down. Let's talk about the let's talk about the myth. Of course, for those of you who are, are, are new to the show, the myth is the story that founds our idea, meaning is at the bottom of our our idea. So the myth, I think, is actually the story of the complaints of Kathy Griffin and Mike Epps. That story being, in order for Kevin Hart to be popular, he has to avoid nuanced conversation and nuanced messaging. The content that he talks about and how he delivered, the content coming from the Kathy Griffin side, his delivery coming from the Mike Epps side. Everybody knows Mike Epps. Mike Epps has been hood funny since you've been born. I guarantee it. So I feel like Mike Epps has the clout to say you know, I don't appreciate his style of comedy. And I don't want to get into too much comedy theory, but I just touched on it before. If you believe in that myth that Kevin Hart is not funny, I would think that you align with the thought process that how Kevin Hart tells jokes is just very animated, very funny, per se. And if you are on the same level as I, you don't think that comedy is just 
but the pure output of laughs. The comedy is designed to make you think. Comedy is designed to make you juxtaposition yourself against tragedy, which doesn't always look like a ha-ha-ha-ha, which sometimes is a, hmm, that's interesting. If you're on the same wavelength, then I would say that you agree that the methods of Kevin Hart aren't spicy. The content of Kevin Hart isn't spicy. What's the virtue from that? So if we just look at the position that Kevin Hart's in, Kevin Hart is the most popular black comic on the scene now and possibly ever. He sold his billionth ticket. His billionth with a B. Kevin Hart sold one billion tickets for his comedy shows. That's incredible. That's like Drake, what do you got, like 25 songs on the top 100 right now and it's all Scorpion? Or when Cardi Beats sells a million in a week? Or when the Migos got 975 streams in a week? That's incredible. But that does not speak to, we're talking about the virtue here, that doesn't speak to quality. That speaks to quantity. And by definition, in order to get everybody it's safe to say that you shouldn't offend anybody. But again, I want to keep the question at the forefront. Does that make Kevin Hart a coward? Kevin Hart could come out and speak about Donald Trump. But in either way that he speaks, it's a polarization. He speaks positively, he loses an audience. He speaks negatively, he loses an audience. Same thing as it goes to the type of delivery that he has. The moment that Kevin Hart sits down and tells jokes like Dave Chappelle did in that one Netflix special, the one moment that Kevin Hart sits down and tells jokes, he loses an audience. The moment that he tries to do exposition like Chris Rock, he loses an audience. But Kevin Hart is always, is already mega successful. So again, the question, I want to keep it at the front, forefront, knowing that Kevin Hart could do these things, if possible, and he chooses not to in order to keep his current demographic. Does that make Kevin Hart a coward? Now, talk to my producer. The lead black comic in America has traditionally always made commentary towards the state of the black, the black community. Always. Always. Red Fox did it. Bill Cosby did it, whether you love it or not. Richard Pryor did it. Eddie Murphy did it. Chris Rock did it when he was on top. Dave Chappelle did it when he was on top. And now we're sitting here looking at Kevin Hart, who seems to have prided himself in creating an audience in which these controversial topics and deliveries don't really matter. You can sell out a show at the Dallas Stadium where it's like, what, 500,000 500, seats there. If you never offend anybody, you can have Trump supporters sitting next to very liberal people in the same Kevin Hart show. But is that bravery? And I bring this up mostly as the comics that I named in the past for those who are real culturists and comedianists who have studied this, throughout comedy there's always been a binary between who represents. So if you look at Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby when they first started, you know they started like the same time. Started at the same time. But there's not too many people who say that Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor were at the same level. Back in the day, Bill Cosby was a represent was a represent was representative of a more integrationist comedy. He was a black man standing in front of white people, bringing a perspective that unified them. But at the same time, Bill Cosby did not shy away from his blackness. 
he had the Bill Cosby show. If you remember the Bill Cosby show, it was more like an after school special in which he was presenting black perspectives on very American things. Even if you look at the Cosby show as integrationist and perfected and like some people say impossible as it possibly is. If you watch the Cosby show, Cosby, Cosby is constantly bringing staples of black culture to the forefront. I can say the same thing about Red Fox. I can say the same thing about Richard Pryor. I can say the same thing about Eddie Murphy. I can say the same thing about Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock. You know who I can't say that about? And excuse me if this makes me a hater, I can't say that about Kevin Hart. I can say that Kevin Hart is successful. I can't say he's successful and he's added to the black culture. He succeeded from the black culture, but has he added to it? I don't know. I don't know. So part of this and trying to hold Kevin, Kevin Hart responsible for the platform that he has, I think we need to press Kevin Hart. Is he a coward? Yes. The answer is yes. You can agree and you can disagree and you can evaluate. I'm not saying a being a coward in his position is a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, no doubt, Kevin Hart has intentionally shied away from controversial topics and controversial delivery in order to have his success. Now, at some point, the chicken's got to come home. Because at some point, somebody's going to press Kevin Hart and he's going to have to make a statement. But until that point, what is our action? Honestly, it's the same thing. (laughs) I said all that to say that your feelings towards Kevin Hart can change or can't change. It's really indifferent at this point. I'm indifferent at this point. You like him, keep watching. You don't like him, don't watch him no more. But to the individuals who like to hold their representatives responsible, remember Kevin Hart is a representative of your perspective. We got to press Kevin Hart, man. I hate to agree with a white woman. But Kevin Hart, might, you might be a pussy. We said we weren't going to use pussy. Maybe there's a point to this. Maybe a strong anti-Trump person can call out Kevin Hart for a lack of content. And maybe a creative genius like Mike Epps, who's been culturally funny for as long as we can know, can call Kevin Hart out on these things. And all these things are just symptomatic. So my question to you, do you need Mo from Kevin Hart? Or are you good where you at? We'll be right back. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Bimo Brown. This week's episode has been brought to you by Distinctly Creative. Distinctly Creative is a wonderful brand in D.C. that is dedicated to highlighting the features of black creative. If you really want to support your boy, go over to distinctlydc.com. Go check out the merchandise. If you want that 15% off, put BMO, B-E-M-O, in your checkout. You get that 15% off and your boy might be able to buy a cup of coffee or something, okay? So make sure you support us, support all black creatives. Let's get back to the show. And we right back. I was tweeting about it for a couple of days. I've been saying it for a few years. I went to Bill Cosby's house. I thought the the penultimate man was to be educated, funny, cultural, and a father. That's what I thought it was. I studied the albums. I studied the old shows. I studied I Spy. I studied the books. I studied the opposing opinions. I read the town hall transcripts word by word. I read the court case that eventually was going to get him locked up in 2005. 
And yet here we are. I say Bill Cosby's name, and the the first thing that comes to your mind is probably vitriol, sexual assault, and evil. Right, this old black man who's just out here sexually assaulting women for the last 50, 60 years. And I want to say that shit's not cool. If you've been listening to the right place to be long, I do consider myself a feminist. To violate a woman's space or anyone's space for that matter, sexually, intellectually, uh, in a way that's against their consent, that embarrasses them, that violates them, it's just unacceptable. And I don't tolerate it amongst my friends or amongst my celebrities. Then we have a situation like Bill Cosby comes up. It's like watching your idol die in front of you. It's like watching your role model, who you modeled your life off of. You see the mistakes that he's made and you see the, the backlash and the hate that's coming his way. And it's, well, you, you can't defend him because what he did was indefensible. But at the same time, I went to Bill Cosby's house because I felt like and I still feel like there's something that he needs to hear from me and I mean me and I even I contemplate even having this segment in the show because it's it's hard to say out loud what I'm thinking without people trying to attack me for the love that I have of another man so I'm gonna go ahead and say it right now I love Bill Cosby and I forgive Bill Cosby and that is the myth that I'm working off of the rules that Bill Cosby lived by when he started this awful behavior back in the 70s, 60s, whenever it was, they have changed. Not to say that it was ever acceptable, because we can't say that now. But when we look back and we see the way that women were treated, it's definitely progressed over the years. And society has progressed over the years. I said on a dating podcast, maybe like three weeks ago, that dating has even changed. Dating has changed through the years. And if you have the same game that you had in 98, you need to update your game, player, because it's not the same. If you had the same game that you had in 2008, you need to update your game because it's not the same game. And it reminds me of that good old-fashioned Batman quote, die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. And I've interpreted that as you don't change, society changes, the rules change. And if you don't change with them, you are the villain. That's exactly what I think happened to Bill. He didn't change. Society changed and he did not. And the output of that is scores of sexual assault accusations against him. And I know there's some people out there, some of my brothers, some of my hotel brothers, some of my conspiracy theorists, theorists, even some people with logical and sound minds who think Bill Cosby has been set up in some grand scheme. I couldn't answer that. And at the right place to be, Mo, that's not what we do. That's an event. We came to talk about the idea. So the idea that I, I want to present from that myth is as the intellectual descendant of Bill Cosby, not a fan, not a follower, not an appreciator, a serious intellectual descendant of Bill Cosby. I had something to say to him, and I feel like I haven't said it yet. But at the myth, at the foundation of the situation, he deserves his punishment. But at the bottom of all of my thoughts about Bill Cosby, I still love him. And I do forgive him. And you can take the word forgiveness and apply it in, di in different ways. Some people think forgiveness is, or I'm allowing you to think that behavior is cool, or I accept what you've done to be cool. And I'm not a very religious guy, but even when you look in the Bible, forgiveness is not about the other person. Forgiveness is about you. How can I live my life with resentment and vitriol hated and hatred towards you? No, I got to let that go.
I don't hate Bill Cosby. I don't even dislike Bill Cosby. I am disappointed. I'm hurt, probably just like his family is. But I love him and I forgive him. And I wanted to deliver that message to him personally because to say it to y'all, honestly, is not good enough. And I love y'all. But I feel like he needed to hear it. And I say he needed to hear it because the time that I went, there was a story out that Camille and the family had left Bill Cosby in his home in Philly. And my first thought, my first thought for a man who dedicated his life, built his career on family, my first thought when they left the house is Bill Cosby's not going to make it through the weekend. And I can't let this man die without knowing that at least one of his intellectual descendants, not his fan, not his follower, someone who was followed in his intellectual thought pattern, trained his voice and cadence to sound just like you. I'm doing it right now. I can't even help it. Your descendant sees you. He's disappointed in you, but he still loves you and he forgives you. And I hope you can take that punishment to the chin. And I hope that you can leave this world as the cultural icon that you were, even with the scratches against you. If my myth is he deserves his punishment, but I still love him and I forgive him. The virtue from that is how do I follow up on that? How can I spread that? And then finally, the action is I need him to hear it from me. So this section, I'm hoping... It's only part one of my discussion, the pre-discussion about Bill Cosby. Because I believe there is a message from me to him that is necessary. I believe that his additions to the culture, his additions to just blackness and even just manhood in general cannot go unrecorded, unloved, unforgiven. So if nobody else is going to do it, and if it causes me hate mail and vitriol, the same disrespect you have towards Bill Cosby, if it causes all that for me to communicate it to him, fuck it. So be it. I stand up and take it. So the action here is your boy Bimo Brown will meet Bill Cosby. I'm going to try as hard as possible to put it on wax and make sure that we can record that conversation because I believe there is a message, a progressive thought, if you will, for Bill Cosby. So if you listen to this and you know Bill, you know what I'm saying? Play it for your boy. Play it for your mans. Um, retweet it. Repost it. All that good stuff. We really, we really want to make this thing pop. I have a video that's going to be up on YouTube that's going to show um, every moment from when I was in Philly trying to figure out what the trespassing laws were, if I could just hop his fence to the time that I actually talked to his nephew and the, the message that I sent to Bill Cosby, who was looking at me from his house. I seen him through the window. I seen him looking dead at me. So I definitely want to... I want to put that out on, on the YouTube and on the visuals. Um, I hope that y'all can forgive me. If you feel like this is a disrespectful thing to do, if you feel like this is a, 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 an appeasement of his actions or somehow a normalization of the behavior, I promise you that is not my intention. My intention, as we do every week, is I want to analyze the things that make us us, the culture that we represent. And from that analysis, I always want to be able to pull out progressive thought because I think thinking died, but on the right place to be Mo, where we exclusively have great conversations about the constructions of ideas and thoughts. I'm not here to evaluate how you feel. If you hate me, fine. If you love me, fine. But I hope as we close out this episode, 
I hope that in whatever that you feel, as you are creating your thoughts, as you were building your ideology, I hope that you can just be a little bit mo. So until next week, it's being your boy, Bryant Brown. Bryant, Bryant, Bryant Brown with the right place to be Mo. You can follow us right here on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Instagram at BMO Brown, B-E-M-O Brown, at BMO Speaks, B-E-M-O Speaks as if you're talking, on Twitter at BMO Brown or at BMO Speaks. And we'll be back next week. Until then, peace.